0: Okay, in this episode we're going to go over upper extremity disorders, so musculoskeletal upper extremities. So we're going to start with the shoulder. So fractures of the shoulder, they can lead to adhesive capsulitis and a rotator cuff tear. So um, if you can, you're going to get an MRI to rule out rotator cuff tear. That's really all you need to know for fractures, dislocations. The most common it's most commonly due to a fall in a outstretched arm. So, foosh, um, anterior dislocation is most common. So, remember I said before, arm starts with A, so A is anterior. And remember, hip posterior, A P. You know, um, physical exam you'll see the hip at I mean <laughs> shoulder, abducted and externally rotated. So, shoulder dislocation abducted externally rotation. Oh, for x-ray, you're going to get a scapular Y and axillary lateral view, which it helps to determine if it's a posterior or anterior. So, x-ray you're going to order the scapular Y and axillary lateral views. Associated con- associated conditions, so a Hill-Sachs lesion, which is a basically a dent in the humeral head and you can also get axillary nerve injury. So that kind of makes sense. You know, the axillary nerve runs right under the shoulder. You can also get a rotator cuff, labral tear. Um, so AC joint dislocation. So on physical exam, you're gonna see the step-off sign at the AC joint. Um, they can get pain with lifting of the arm. Uh, so there's, like, different classes that, like, depending on, like, how far it's displaced, what it looks like. Um, the kind of one that's in the middle that I just kind of remember and base off everything else off of is class three is ruptured of both ligaments in the, in the shoulder. So, um, Yeah, so class three, rupture of both ligaments. X-ray, so you're going to get an X-ray of the patient without holding a weight and with a weight because sometimes they, the weight is needed to actually show the dislocation. But treatment, they often heal on their own, so you're just going to sling the arm. I kind of remember this because, I don't know, like so shoulder dystocia and like OBGYN often leads to like clavicular injury or like just childbirth in general leads to like a clavicular injury. So I kind of just think that like in babies, you just use a safety pin and safety pin their arm up. So you're basically slinging their arm. So it's kind of the same in adults. So you're just going to sling it. Type three is when type four excuse me, type 4 is when the clavicle is into or through the trapezius muscle, and that requires surgery. So in general, if you, (laughs) I feel like you just by reading that, I would know that that's probably going to be surgical. If the bone is in or through a muscle, I would hope that just reading that, I would be like, yeah, I feel like that's a little bit more than slinging it. Okay, so rotator cuff disorders. So we'll just kind of go back and think of the rotator cuff component. So there's four muscles that make up the rotator cuff, supraspinatus, the subscapularis, the infraspinatus, and the teres minor. So those are the four muscles, not the deltoid. I feel like that was a question, which of the following, like all of the following except are part of the rotator cuff not the deltoid. So supraspinatus, subscapularis, infraspinatus, teres minor. So rotator cuff disorders, this is going to be your patient that presents with shoulder pain with overhead activity or at night when they're laying on the arm. So pain with overhead activity or at night when laying on the arm. Diagnosed, it's going to be MRI all of these like specific like muscular disorders you need, we're gonna need an mri for um so impingement tests this is like i feel like this is a big like test question of like all these like so this is a nears test hawkins test empty can test arm drop liftoff test all of those. So I'm just going to go through a couple that I like saw questions on or a couple that kept repeating. So the nearest test, this is a forward arm flexion. You press on the greater tuberosity and the supraspinatus muscle. So basically, you're just going to put like, so I kind of, to remember these tests, I just like kind of make an easier way in my mind of what the test looks like when the person's when it's being performed so near's test it kind of looks like you're (laughs) raising the the patient's hand while you're putting pressure on the shoulder so it's like taking your hand in like um pronated way like say they're down at your sides. in pronation and you just raise it straight up in front of them. That's kind of as like you raise the arm like that. So flex it, I guess. You're going to put pressure on the, like right on the shoulder. So that's the nearest test. The Hawkins makes the patient look like they're arm wrestling. So it's a sharp anterior shoulder pain with internal rotation so these are both that this action should produce pain so nears they're raising their hands so they're putting the arm in forward flexion and putting pressure on the greater tuberosity hawkins test pain with internal rotation what's internal rotation yeah so um is arm wrestling the supras so uh some other like tests that can be done and to like kind of go over like which muscle that would be kind of point to. So those two, the Nears-Hawkins are just kind of impingement tests. If we're going to test the supraspinatus specifically, we can do the empty can test, which it's a 90 degree abduct, 30 degree flex, rotate internal and apply downward pressure. Those words mean nothing to me. I'm just going to remember empty can test, arm drop, super spinatus. Arm drop, You are the arm passively ducts and actively adducts slowly. Once again, those words mean nothing to me and I'm n- probably not going to memorize them. I just want to be able to recognize the test names if I would see them. And as long as you kind of know your anatomy well enough to know kind of where the supraspinatus is located, I don't know, I did a lot of, I did a couple shoulder surgeries so I can kind of picture that muscle. So given any description, I feel like I can kind of really think about like mechanics wise if that would be, what that would be testing. And then another one, the subscapularis, uh, you can do the lift off test which is the elbow at a 90-degree angle, and you're going to rotate medially against resistance. So that tests the subscapularis. So in general, the rotator cuff disorders, you're going to treat conservatively, which is physical therapy and NSAIDs. Um, Other soft tissue injuries, so biceps tendoni- bicep tendonitis, this is pain with supination of the elbow. So, that's Jigerson's test. So, pain with supination, bicep tendonitis. Um, adhesive cap- capsulitis. This is, you can get decreased active and range of motion of the shoulder. And this test, I just saw a million times. So, adhesive capsulitis, Apley test. A-P-L-E-Y. Apley test. So the patient tries to bring their hands together on their back while one hand comes from above and the other below. I feel like as a kid, I would always like do, do this to try to see if my fingers could touch behind my back. And this is known as the Apley's test for adhesive capsulitis. So Apley's test, adhesive capsulitis. Okay, and last, we'll do clavicular fractures. So this is the most common fractured bone in children, adolescents, and newborns during birth. Like I said, group one is the most common, and this is a mid-shaft or middle one-third fracture. So group one, most common mid-shaft fracture. Um, Beyond the newborn phase, the most common mechanism of injury is by fooshia. And once again, you sling it, sling to mobilize. So kind of clavicular, AC joint, we're slinging it. Okay, now we're going to move into the forearm and wrist. So fractures and dislocations. So the boxer's fracture. So this is a fracture of the fifth metacarpal, and you treat it with an ulnar gutter splint. So that's kind of how you really need to know. They're going to kind of give you a history. I feel like I've seen this often where they give you the image for this and kind of give you a background um, of a pa- of someone who was fighting or um, like got into an altercation. So you have to see that it's a fracture of the fifth metacarpal and ha- mitocarpal and you treat it with an owner gutter split. So just put it in a gutter. And you really need to watch for fight bites in this, in like if there is opening of the skin, ensuring that you provide the appropriate antibiotic coverage. So coles fracture, this is so there's two types of distal radial fractures that you really need to know. So the distal radial fractures are the cole's and the smith the coles you're gonna get a dinner fork deformity so just picture a dinner fork and picture the way it deforms that's kind of so it's a foosh that's what you're looking for for coles so a foosh the, while the wrist is extended, it will cause a dinner fork deformity. You treat it with a sugar tongue splint. Smith is a fooch with the with the wrist flexed, and this is going to this is going to give you the garden spade deformity. So, Coley's wrist extended dinner fork, Smith wrist flexed garden spade and with the smith you have to be worried about median nerve injury well i guess in theory both but um, i guess more common with the smiths um and this you also treat it the same way sugar tongue splint so next up is gamekeeper's thumb so gamekeeper's thumb also known as skier's thumb. This is a fall on an abducted thumb. So I think like when the, when the thumb's out, like a hitchhiker thumb. So imagine you're like giving a thumbs up and you fall on that outstretched thumb. That's kind of how this occurs. It's an ulnar collateral ligament injury. So, um, yeah, Um. in this, you're going to refer to hand surgery. So, a ul- gamekeeper's thumb is an ulnar collateral ligament injury, and you're going to refer to hand surgery. A humeral, sh- a humeral fracture. So, proximal is most common in the elderly, and it's due to osteoporosis. Shaft fractures, you're thinking tumors. Um, distal is less common, but... If you do, this will be like a, we'll show a fat pad sign. So a distal humeral fracture can show a fat pad sign or, I mean, an anterior fat pad sign are also known as a sale sign. So humeral fractures, proximal, elderly, osteoporosis, shaft tumors, distal, less common, the least common, you're going to see an anterior fat pad sign. But this is the most common site of radial nerve injury. That's like a test question that I saw everywhere. So, which I, I I, don't know. I feel like I wouldn't pick that this would be the most common site. So this is something that I really had to like take time to kind of process and memorize. Because if you were to just kind of ask me, oh, like radial, where's the most common site of radial nerve injury? I'd be like, oh the radius, like some type of radial fracture, but that's not true. So it's humeral. Fracture is the most common site of radial nerve injury. And you treat this with a sugar tongue splint. Okay, supracondylar fractures. So most commonly due to a fouche, common in children. On x-ray, you're going to see a displaced anterior fat pad sign or posterior fat pad sign. Non-displaced, Oh, so the x-ray, you're going to see displaced anterior fat pad sign or posterior fat pad sign. Treatment. Non-displaced, you're just going to splint followed by casting when swelling goes down. Um, just kind of a general thing beyond like supercondylar fractures is like t- just talking about the anterior or posterior fat pad sign. The fat pad sign in ch- children... Is indicative of a supracondylar fracture. In adults, it's going to be a radial head fracture. So fat pad sign, children, you're thinking, so if it gives you a fat pad sign, children, you're going to think supracondylar fracture. If it's adult, you're going to think radial head fracture. So then that's a test question. Radial head also caused by a foosh, but you're going to have the inability f- to fully extend the elbow. Once again, you're an x-ray, you're going to see an anterior posterior fat pod sign in adults. Um, treatment sling and a lo- long arm splint at 90 degrees. So radial head, they can extend, they don't, inability to fully extend the elbow, and you're going to splint them at 90 degrees nursemaid's elbow. So this is dislocation of the elbow joint caused by a sudden pull on the extended or pronated arm. So on physical exam, this is gonna be a child that's refusing to move the arm from a flexed and pronated position. So they're gonna have have the arm flexed and held close to their body and they're not gonna wanna move it. This is a clinical diagnosis. You really don't need to get x-rays unless you're suspecting any type of fracture. Um, treatment, you're going to supinate and flex. So you bring, try to um, extend the arm in supination and then slowly bring it into flexion to get it to hopefully pop back in. If you try it once and don't get it to um, relocate, then you should get an x-ray to rule out fracture before you just keep doing this procedure over and over Um, next up, nightstick fracture. So this is an isolated fracture of the ulna. I just, I don't know, like the name kind of gives it away to me, like nightstick. I just kind of picture like how, how I would like protect myself if someone was coming at me with like a stick. So if someone's coming at me to hit with a stick, I'm putting my arm up in front of my face. What's, what's shown to that stick? my ulna i so nightstick fracture isolated fracture of the ulna treatment you're gonna brace it if it's non-displaced in general if it is a non if it's a displaced fracture you're going to need an ortho consult so just in general know that for all the test questions okay continuing Montega fracture. So, this is a proximal ulnar shaft fracture with a radial head dislocation. So, Montega ulnar shaft fracture, radial head dislocation. This is from a fouche or direct blow You can get radial nerve injury, which will lead to a wrist drop. And you're gonna, this is an open reduction internal fixation. Galezi. Is a distal radial shaft fracture with dislocation of the ulnar radial joint. So, um, kind of how I remember this, um, I don't know. The, the one of the th- resources that I was reading was like Muger Muger, so M U G R Muger. <laughs> I don't know why it's done. So MU Montega is ulnar fracture. And Galezi Gur is <laughs> radial shaft fracture. I mean, whatever works, I guess. And last fracture we're going to go is a scaphoid fracture. So this is caused by a fush, And you're going to get snuff box tender. This, this is high risk for AVN just for, because of the blood supply to the area. These... Um, patients may have a negative x-ray. So that's like w- what's kind of crazy about the scaphoid fracture in general is that you really have to go uh, like based on how this patient like physical exam wise because the x-ray even if you do get an x-ray of the area it could be negative even if they do have a fracture. So any patient with snuff box, ten- snuff box tenderness, we're putting them in a thumb spica, and... For ten to twelve weeks, and following up with orthopedics if you're in the emergency department. So scaphoid, snuffbox tenderness, high risk of AVN because of the how the blood supply is to the area. Of thumb spica. Okay, next up, we're gonna do tenosynovitis. So carpal tunnel syndrome first up. So this is compression of the median nerve at in the carpal tunnel. Um, risk factors, most common in pregnancy and diabetes. Um, you're going to have pain in the first three digits, especially at night. You had the phalens and toenails, you know, tapping on it. Phalens like kind of push your, the backs of your hands together. Treatment, you're going to start conservative with a volar splint. Obviously, we know that we can decompress with surgery eventually. De Quervain's So this is pain, at the and swelling at the base of the thumb. It's most often seen in postpartum mothers from lifting their newborns and diabetics. So you can those are the same risk factors. So any tenosynovitis, if those are gonna kind of be your patient population, like that's what they're gonna describe in the background of the patient. So you get pain along the radial aspect of the wrist and base of the thumb, radiating to the forearm. So, on my general surgery rotation when I was with ortho, we actually repaired one of these, and it was actually due to a um, IV being placed there, causing the t- the synovitis. So just kind of remember that when you're if you're placing your own IVs, like that area is can lead well if yeah just be careful in that area um so the test for this is a finkelstein test so you it's a first dorsal compartment pain with ulnar deviation so you put the thumb inside your other fingers and you deviate like kind of like laterally away from the thumb and if that causes pain then that's a positive test, so Finkelstein, I don't know, I feel like both, like, Dequerviums and Finkelstein, I don't know, they're just weird names, I don't know why I kind of remember them, it's just like, I don't know, they're just weird, um, treatment Thumb Spica NSAIDs, so just, um, last one, epico- epicondylitis, so you have medial and lateral, so medial, you get Pain with flexion and pronation, so medial flexion, lateral extension. So medial flexion, lateral extension. So I'm going to say the like the muscles. I think they're the muscles or whatever the yes is associated with these conditions. I'm not saying I would memorize these, but now like, I'm just speaking them into the universe so that hopefully on the exam, I'd be able to recognize them. So medial epicondylitis is due to pronator, teres, flexor, carpi, carpi radialis inflammation, and lateral is inflammation of the brevis. And that is all for upper extremity disorders.